Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Sports Science Manager at Richmond Football Club, Brendan Farner. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. So absolutely delighted to welcome Brendan on to this episode. So as we mentioned in the episode, myself and Brendan met back in 2015 at the Seattle Sounders uh, Sports Science Weekend. And Brendan forms a little group I've got going on um, with guys that are coming on from the AFL. So Darren Burgess when he was at Port Adelaide, Ian McKeough at Port Adelaide, Andrew Russell at Hot when he was at Hawthorne, um, John Bartlett. Gold Coast Suns, Selwyn Griffith, Gold Coast Suns. So I had loads of people, I'm probably missing a few there, but loads of people on from the AFL. It's great, always great to chat with these guys because I always feel they're really pushing the boundaries, especially with how grueling the sport of AFL is. So in this episode with Brendan, we discuss building a monitoring system because I know that is a big part of Brendan's role as sports science manager. So we discuss the process of deciding what to collect, what not to collect, what to report, what not to report, um, changing his system that he's implemented over the last few years, um, the acute chronic workload ratio, which is obviously getting a, um, a revitalized in the um in the sports science community in terms of its amount of uh, discussion that it's, that it's getting, um, where sports science is as an industry, and then uh, scientists versus coaches and what may be missing or what may be um, have been left to the side as, um, as, as practitioners have developed. So really interesting chat with Brendan, which I'm sure you will love. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Kitman Labs. So Kitman Labs partners with leading sports teams to help them consistently achieve the highest levels of performance by increasing the impact of their data. So over 200 teams across the globe rely on Kitman Labs performance intelligence platform to quantify the cost of performance and injury and receive the right insights at the right time. Through unique outcome-driven analytics and the most advanced athlete management system, teams can align their organizations around a shared view of what it takes to drive performance and health and move at the speed of sport to adjust and continuously improve. If you want to know more about Kitman Labs, head over to www.win.kitmanlabs.com forward slash impact. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by iMeasureU. So used by leading sports practitioners and biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field, IMU Step from iMeasureU is a dual sensor and app lower limb load monitoring tool which helps practitioners optimize return to play for running based sports. So iMeasureU have just released their new and improved waterproof sensor Blue Trident, which includes ultra high G capabilities to quantify high impact steps such as cutting, landing and sprinting, longer battery life to collect data all day, real-time feedback to aid immediate interventions and faster workflow so practitioners can review long training sessions within minutes of training completion. I Measure You, now part of Vicon, works with military, pro and collegiate coaches and athletes from around the world, including the Australian Institute of Sport, US Department of Defense and collegiate and pro teams from around the world. If you want to get to know more about I Measure You, head over to their website, imeasureyou.com or follow them on Twitter or Instagram at iMeasureU. 
So without further ado, over to the episode with Brendan Farner. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast this morning or this evening for Brendan. I welcome Brendan Farner to the podcast, so welcome to the podcast, mate. Hi, thanks for having me. Absolute pleasure. Thanks for giving up your evening to have a little chat. So anyone that doesn't know who you are in true podcast tradition, I just want to ask you to give us a bit of a background on yourself, um, how you got into your position as sports science manager at Richmond, later on education, um, yeah, the whole the whole background in a couple of minutes. Yeah, no problems. Um, yeah, I've sort of been now at Richmond for, this is my 11th season uh, full-time, so um, I've sort of been lucky enough to be at one club for, for quite a period of time now. Um, I originally started, uh, well, what's this, 13, 14 years ago now as a, an intern student at Richmond, um, so I was there for, for 12 months um, while studying my uh, undergraduate degree in exercise sports science at Deakin University. Uh, once I finished that year, um, I ended up getting a uh, like a research position at Geelong Football Club, who at the time happened to be quite a successful team, um, probably arguably one of the, the more successful teams in the Australian Football League um, in the modern era. So I was there for 12 months um, doing some research uh, using their, their GPS technology um, and sort of relating it to on-field performance. Um, through that, I got a phone call from uh, Richmond sort of towards the back end of that season um, asking if I'd be interested in, in uh, coming across and working uh, for them uh, in a full-time sports science role um, and, um, yeah, sort of uh, gave them a quick yes um, and was, was over there uh, for the next season and sort of been there um, ever since um, in, a, in a sort of sports science capacity um, or sort of, sorry, sports science role. Um, so... Uh, yeah, I've been there now uh, 11 seasons. Um, uh, yeah, so that's sort of a little bit of my background, I guess. Excellent. So in terms of the, the setup at Richmond, just want to give us a bit of a, an insight into the kind of um, the hierarchy and who you report to and where you fit as a, as a sports science manager in the, in the kind of wider department. Yeah, so uh, my, I guess, direct boss is um, Peter Burge, who's our uh, high performance manager or our physical performance manager. Um, so he ultimately oversees the whole um, physical uh, medical team. Um, so he basically has his philosophy and his program and we're there to support that. Um, so beneath him, I guess, is a team of uh Four. Um, so there's myself, the sports science manager, um, Luke Mann, our strength and conditioning coach, uh, Rob Innes, our rehab strength and conditioning coach, and then we've also got um, Tim Green who uh, helps out um, with our VFL side. So he's sort of our um, high performance manager of our, our development squad, um, I guess you'd call him. Mm-hmm. So having been at Richmond 11 years since you've come back? Is yes, 11 years? Yes. Yep. Okay, so with with you been there for for so long, how have you? And I, I'm answering my own question because we met in Seattle in in 2015 when you were speaking over there. Yeah. Well, how have you gone about kind of keeping in touch with what's going on in the wider community um, and wider world in terms of sports science and keeping up to date with what's going on? Um, having been at just just one club. Yeah, look, it's uh, through networking, really. Um, that's the, sort of the one piece of advice that, that I have for a lot of people who are even just looking to, to get into this industry is, um, you know, making sure you, you, you 
forming strong networks um, outside of y- your own environment, um, whether that be other sports and and other um, even other organisations. So um, you know, I used to uh, speak quite regularly with with some of the guys um, outside of sport entirely and in just the corporate world. So um, just having that. Um, wide range of, of um, networking um, sort of uh, contacts uh, helps keep, I guess, cutting edge um, or, or keep on top of what's going on in the world. Um, you know, so I've done regular trips across to the US, as you mentioned, and, and Europe and, and visited other teams and other organisations and institutes of sports around the world to see sort of what's going on, uh, particularly in, in um, you know, the UK obviously have a very strong um, Olympic program uh, then the, you know the, the US teams also have some, uh, some a lot of money to, to sort of look at technology and, and processes that are, that are out there that we may not uh, necessarily be able to afford at the moment um, but also be able to sort of judge and see if, if it is worth us investing uh, down that path. So when you say corporate world, what kind of corporate networks have you built and for what reason? People might think that's a bit of a kind of left field type of thing to, to, to focus on? Yeah, well, it's sort of um, come out of, uh, I guess, the, the wave of, of the, the data analysis side of things. So talking to um, some data analysts and some um, some uh, statisticians who work outside of uh, of sporting arena. So, um, you know, a close, a close friend of mine or mentor who I spoke with um, quite regularly, uh, particularly a few years ago, um, he was sort of investigating some, some biological statistics and, and how um, animals sort of moved with each other um, and how that data in- interacted and we sort of sat down for a little bit and, and scratched the surface of a couple of a couple of little problems that we were, we were looking at at the time um, and that's I mean that's probably the, the best example but um, you know there's been uh, some other cases where I've uh, sort of been talking with um, sort of physical um, trainers and, and physical uh, um performance coaches I guess outside of sport who are working with like firefighters um, and you know policemen and military personnel as well so keeping sort of an open mind and looking at um, outside of the the sporting environment sometimes gives you some of the best ideas um, that we generally don't get the opportunity to to be exposed to. Excellent. So moving on to the back onto the the, the the hard cost of the sports science stuff. Where do you think, as an industry, we are when we're talking about sports science, and where do you think we're going? Where do you think that's moving towards, or what's going to have a, a big influence over the next five or ten years? Yeah, it's a it's a very good question, and um, one that I always struggle to answer, um, particularly the, the, where the future is heading. Um, right now, we're, we're sort of, I feel um, we're at an interesting point where there's uh, so much data out there that um, we can uh, get sort of swamped by it. Um, and a lot of the time, we're, we're forgetting the fundamentals or the basics that, that have been done quite well um, in, in terms of sports science over many, many years now. Um and we can get you know caught up in the, these numbers and, and what they're telling us, um, and sometimes what they're not telling us as well. Um, so right now, I think we're we're sort of at a point where uh, we are collecting a, a lot of data and really trying to find the best way to to go about dealing with that. 
there, there are uh, opportunities where I, I feel um, we need to start looking at, at other aspects of sporting uh, performance. Um, you know, working with 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 other uh, professions within our sporting teams, uh, looking at um, particularly the psychological side of things. I feel like that's a, a big area that is only becoming uh, more and more prevalent, uh, particularly around mental health issues. Um, you see that uh, across the world in all sport at the moment, becoming more and more documented across the media. So, um, you know, working with uh, sports psychologists or um, uh, people in that field uh, to best or, or find best ways that it, it relates back to to health and, and performance and and injury management um, from a physical point of view because um, yeah I do personally believe that they do have uh, a pretty strong relationship and it's at the moment we're sort of only scratching the surface in that space and I feel that the the teams or, or people who best get hold of that and, and really start to to go down that that little rabbit hole will, will um you know, will become a fair a fair way advanced in their programs and their um, philosophies um, around the world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. One thing that I sent over um, pretty late last night, your time, pretty while you were asleep actually, was um, an interview that Barry Drust over at uh, Liverpool John Moores did with a, a website uh, based over here, but that is based on um, one of his papers. Um, that he put out recently, I think it was an editorial, I'm not sure. Um, just looking at the, the touch points that a, a sports scientist will have on a day-to-day basis with players. And when you actually list what the players do, even just before training, was like 10, 11, 12 points of wellness questionnaires, hydration testing, um, so like, you know, all these kind of things that were just listed. Is this, are we going to get to a point where <clears throat> we may reassess or players may kind of come back and, and almost kind of kick back on that on that long list, or we'll just get a bit more refined in what we do. How do you think that will play out? Yeah, look, I, I feel like we, we should always be refining what we're doing, um, and I also feel like we shouldn't be collecting data for the sake of collecting data. So um, from, from my point of view and what we do at Richmond, we, we make sure that any sort of data set we are collecting from a player um, that the player can see we're actually using it. Uh, that way you, you're, you're still getting that buy-in from the player uh, around this data and not getting that um, fight back from, from the playing group. So, yeah, using, you know, wellness, for example, um, it should never – never override uh, conversation. So using the wellness that we, we produce each day, um, make sure that no one slips through the cracks, but uh, the, the best information we get is still going up to the player and actually um, talking to them about their, their sort of physical state. Um, so I, I feel like that's the best way, sort of including the, the player in in sports science and the data collection process um, helps us to, to really – uh, get the the important data that we, we need um, and builds that trust between between us as as uh, practitioners and the playing group themselves. How do you see the perception of sports science in different parts of the world that you've been to? So obviously in, in Australia, it's quite well ingrained um, where the players will just see you as part of the team. But in other parts of the world, that may be dif- that may be different. And how, have you seen a marked difference in how players interact with sports science, how they're accepted or not accepted? 
Yeah, definitely. I feel uh, in terms of particularly the AFL where we are very lucky in that, um, you know, we've sort of had, I guess, yeah, elements of sports science around in the competition now for sort of over 20 years. Um, So players in this day and age are walking into AFL clubs um, expecting this to be the norm or, or experiencing it as, as the norm um, and that's just what you do as an AFL player. Um, it helps when, you know, a lot of the coaches now in, in our uh, industry had experienced it in their own career so they've, they've now come through those ranks um, and what I've found in, in my travels, I guess, is that um, a lot of other sports around the world are in a similar position to us. Uh, uh, sorry, in a similar position to where we were uh, uh, a few years ago, where you're still trying to get that buy-in. Um, you know, some coaches are really, are really on it, and other coaches are very, um, you know, what, what is, what does this mean? I don't really need this. That sort of um, mindset. So, um, yeah, there, there are marked differences. I feel uh, across uh, around the world. Um, I also feel, um, and Patrick Ward uh, out of Seattle, um, who I spoke with. Um, semi-regularly actually um he, his sort of philosophy around um sports science is always seen as negative so we're always there taking things away so you know our wellness is high so we go to the coach and say look you can't you can't do so much today we're, we're not we're always seen as as the negative side of things so actually giving back to the coach and you know on the flip side look our wellness is pretty low today maybe we can we can push the group a little bit further um than what we'd had planned um so the coach feels like he's getting something sort of uh, helps that that buy-in um so but from a playing point of view i feel if the coach is on side the players generally become on side um so uh that's what i've i've experienced anyway um and you know i'm pretty lucky at richmond in that, that my head coach uh values what we do and, and has been a big um sort of uh push uh to 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 get uh data across and, and information across in the playing group as well mm-hmm. So in terms of building that monitoring system, and one thing that, I'd, as I mentioned to you before we started recording, the one thing I'd really like to get out of this podcast and hopefully kind of draw out of, of you and your experience and your knowledge at Richmond is the process that you go through to actually build that system. And not just actually what you do, but obviously that's really important what you do, but how you've actually got to where um, where you are now. So what is so in terms of the, like drilling down and, and going kind of pretty basic for my um, basic mind but in terms of the process of deciding what to collect what is that what's that process look like and has that how has that developed over time yeah look it's it's something that um, as I mentioned there's so much data out there now that we can get swamped and get um, a little bit overwhelmed uh, I guess Um, when I first started at Richmond um, my role was was basically to make use or make sense of the GPS data and the data that we were collecting. And at that time, um, we were collecting basically anything you could collect on the, on the GPS device, um, you know, from total distance, different speeds, um, you know, G-forces, a, a wide range of things. And, and we were spitting out these these wonderful graphs and these great reports. Um, and then sort of at the end of one season, uh, or sorry, after a recession, I, was, I spat out all these reports and sent them all through. And then the next day, was just in a conversation with a player and, and realised that uh, they don't read it. Um, so and you know felt like I was sort of uh, wasting my time and and um, my my position was a bit redundant in in that regard. So I sort of sat down with a couple of players and said, "Look, what's going on here? Um, you know, 
what have you, what do you get out of the reports? And a lot of them said, to be honest, it's just a whole heap of numbers. Um, and they didn't really uh, want to spend the time or invest the time in, in looking at, at these reports or the, this data. Some would out of interest, but they wouldn't actually know how it sort of applied to, to what they were doing on a football field. So um, using that as an example, we, we ended up getting a, an honour student in uh, for a season and basically her role was to look at all of our GPS variables um, and basically see what best related back to to performance on game day um, from a football point of view. So obviously there's no um, cause and effect there because performance on game day, there's, you know, so many factors that I couldn't list that affect performance. But but what could we find that best related uh, to performance? And basically we, we cleaned up our, uh, our reporting process and basically spit out two numbers um, that we gave the players, um, two pretty simple numbers that we could explain uh, or variables that we could explain uh, in layman's terms because ultimately they're there to play football and not to be statisticians themselves. So, um, yeah, we went through that process. Um, it, we then presented to the playing group and said, look, we're going to focus on this this uh, report here. Um uh, these are the two numbers that we're going to give you. This is why. Um, and, you know, when you play well, uh, generally the coach or when the coach perceives you played well, generally these GPS numbers or these GPS markers are higher. Um, so, therefore, we're going to focus on that. Um, and that ultimately led to the buy-in, which, which improved our data quality as well um, and got some conversations and some messages across to players. Um, so, um, I guess to, to take a little bit of a step back, the, the first point there is is does the data answer a question that's going to improve our program or improve our, our um, physical performance um, program as a group? Um, if the first answer is is no, we're just collecting it for the sake of collecting it, then I, I would advise that um, maybe you invest your time in, in something else. Um, in saying that, there's, there's always new stuff out there that we're always trying and and looking at and um, really trying to to narrow down and see whether it helps. Um, if that's the case, um, generally I'd try it on myself uh, first, um, see what it's giving me uh, from a, a wearable point of view. For example, if I'm um, wearing a, sense, a certain sensor, um, generally – People know their own bodies better than any anything else, so uh, anybody else. Um, so having that uh, connection to the data um, also helps to to um, really answer those questions or, or see what questions you can use it to answer. Um, does that sort of answer your question? Yeah, no, absolutely. So them two numbers that you give to the players, what were them two numbers? Uh, so basically, yeah. Sorry, I was. Oh, very vague there, but basically they're intensity markers. So um, just okay. purely high speed. Uh, did you get me? I got you, mate. I got you. Oh, sorry. Um, yeah, basically they're intensity markers. So um, pretty much just high speed running results and, and sprint distance results. So um, we found them to to be our best uh, – to be highest. Uh, sorry, when the coach perceived the player to – play well, um, generally they were higher than, than when a player was perceived to have played poorly. Um, and I think we've, we've actually published all that too. Um, so um, that, that is out there somewhere. Um, you'll be able to find that somewhere, yeah. Mm-hmm. So obviously you're collecting much more in, more in terms of the, the, the GPS numbers than them two metrics. So how are you how are you translating the stuff that maybe you keep on the back end to – do your own analysis 
and then communicating that stuff back to the maybe not the players because they get what we've just discussed, but to the coaches, the more in depth stuff. Yeah, again, it's about um, picking and choosing something that you can explain for one. Um, so, for example, um, an algorithm like, um, and again, using GPS as the example, but like player load uh, metric is is at times can be quite hard to, to explain to, to coaches. So um, trying to find other ways to go about it, um, to, to explain that information, um, whether it be um, – time in in certain speed zones or or relating it back to um, or trying to find a way to relate it back to uh, relatable information, if that sort of makes sense, or or something that a a coach is going to understand to speak um, more so than uh, these arbitrary numbers that have an algorithm behind them that they need to to therefore um, make a decision around. And is there anything that you're doing, and I know this is part of the – the vision of, of certain GPS companies that there's more of an integration with the tactical element of what's going on to try to involve the coach more, whether that be overlays with with LPS data to to look at um, not only that high, a high speed running action happened, but when and where that happened to give context to the coaches. Is that something that you're doing as well? Yeah, definitely, um, and it's something that I work with our uh, performance analysis guys uh, around. Um, we we do a lot around what sort of running we're doing, um, you know, when, whether it be in offense or defense or in dispute, um, and then relating that back to um, certain scenarios in the vision and, and looking at things like uh, reaction time and, and how much ground a player is covering in a certain period um, when there's a turnover, for example. Um, so, yeah, we're, we're definitely trying to um, apply the information more so from a performance point of view, um, but we've also got to, I guess, keep in the back of our minds that, that these are uh, workload measures, not performance measures, and, and ultimately um, that the device, the, the GPS device or the accelerometer device or whatever device it is, is actually measuring uh, yeah, workload, not a direct measure of, of football performance, I guess. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Brendan. Hope you enjoyed part one. So over in part two, we discuss where sports science fits in the overall ecosystem at Richmond, which is a really interesting chat. Um, and then we discuss more on the kind of coach versus, versus scientist side of things that we discussed a little bit in part one. But just before we do get into part two, I want to say a big thanks to Black Box Fitness for sponsoring this episode today. So Black Box are a specialist performance gym manufacturer based in Belfast in Northern Ireland. So they manufacture everything on site. I've been to the warehouse. It's very, very impressive. Uh, a huge very slick operation over there. So if you are interested in having a new gym fit out, obviously everyone's interested, but if you're seriously thinking about a full gym fit out, make sure you chat to the guys at Blackbox. But even if you're just adding some barbells or some dumbbells or some some extra uh, extra plates to, your, to the setup that you've already got, again, check out Blackbox. Got a great facility over there if you want to ever visit their headquarters. And if you are interested in any of that, head over to their website, which is blkboxfitness.com or you can check out some of their work on their Instagram and Twitter handles Twitter pages at the handle at blkboxfitness also big thanks to Hawking Dynamics for also sponsoring this episode today so Hawking Dynamics offer the world's first wireless force plate testing system 
So the Harking Dynamic system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can, I mean, you can also schedule a demo and follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. I'd like to get into that a little bit more if we, if we could, because it's something we haven't discussed in the podcast is that how that, mm, I'll probably lie, it's maybe been discussed once or twice, how we translate that physical performance and actually give context. So in, in terms of day-to-day working with your analyst at, at Richmond, how would you go about that and what what outcome would you get from them kind of discussions of, uh, of you know, when these um, sprint actions or, or high-speed running actions would, would take place and what outcomes would you be looking for from coaches and managers and things like that? Yeah, it's... Um... I'll uh, I'll try and do my best to answer this question um, without uh, <laughs> giving too much of the too much away. But um, yeah, basically, uh, as I mentioned, you know, looking at different phases of play, um, and ultimately, I guess the in a basic level, uh, you want to go harder than your opposition for longer. Um, but if we can find those those moments in the game that are going to give us the, the best chance um, of performing. Um, or, or best chance of of ultimately um, beating our p- opposition, um, then yeah, they're, they're sort of the, the, the golden moments, I guess. Um, and I know I've been talking to a few guys in soccer who have looked at um, you know how quickly they can uh, react to turnover and therefore uh, look at sort of some acceleration data and you know um, have certain rules around within the first three seconds of the turnover that the opposition have, have turned the ball over that our, all our players should have, a, uh, you know, a, a hard acceleration. Um, we don't, we sort of don't necessarily do that, but we, we do similar things along those lines. Um, AFL is, is more of a, um, a free-flowing sport. So obviously with the 360-degree nature of it, um, it's sort of a, a more longer, um, and, oh, sorry, and the bigger, bigger size grounds, it's more longer sustained efforts on, on turnovers. Um, so looking at, at little things like that um, across uh, a season within a game um, and finding those, those sort of critical moments and therefore uh, looking at them and whether there is information within the, the GPS or, or um you know our, our metrics that are that are telling us um, or, or showing us that we're we're performing for for better for longer, I guess. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's fantastic. So just going back to that long list that we discussed from from Barry, just the touch points from a from a player point of view and and the the sports science. Is there any changes that you've made recently or in the past that have made? That you feel have been kind of instrumental, whether it be whether it be removing something or actually adding something to that list. Um, yeah, definitely. There's uh, we we had in the past, um, and it, we've we've actually published some some works on it on this as well um, with with Paul Gaston, um, looking at um, sort of uh, CK levels uh, within our playing group, um, and it's one thing that. 
for me, we weren't getting uh, bang for our buck for in that the players hated coming and getting their bloods taken. Um, it The information we were getting uh, because it, we in the applied environment, it's very hard to be um, – to measure at the exact same time, at the exact same week, um, all that sort of stuff. So um, from from our point of view, it, it was a test that although we were getting some some reasonable information um, from a out of it, from a, um, yeah, getting bang for your buck, it sort of became a bit of a, a waste of time, I guess, um, the personnel required as well um, to, to actually administer the test on top of that. Um, and waiting for the players to do it uh, in their time when they when they arrived at the club, it it was one thing that that we ended up yeah getting rid of, um, and I don't think that we had a massive change in in our program from getting rid of it, or, or there was no detriment to our program from getting rid of it. Um, so therefore, it was it was just one thing that you sort of gave back to the players um, and make them feel like they. Um, were a part of the decision-making process as well around sort of sports science and, and their own well-being. So on the flip side, is there anything that's been added in that's, that has made a real impact on the on the program that you run? Um, I wouldn't say added in as yet. I would say refined. Um, it, it, we're always constantly sort of reviewing um, and refining our processes and the way we do things and the, the emphasis on the data um, that, we're, that we're collecting. Again, the, the biggest biggest piece of advice is making sure that you, you include the athletes on the on the data collection. So um, showing them that the, the data that you are collecting from them because ultimately it's, it's their body and their data that we're collecting information on. Um, ultimately showing them that we're actually using it and we are um, – we do have it for a reason. Um, that that's the, the biggest sort of um, biggest, I guess, improvement we, we've had in our program is is really including them in that decision making process. So one thing that's a hot topic at the minute, I had to put it in there just because it's along these same lines, and that's the acute chronic uh, workload ratio. Is this something that you've continue to, to, to look at and continue to collect and analyze and, and actually use in your program? Is it, is it something that you've never never implemented? Is it something that you've marginalized recently given you know the, the, the chats and the discussions and the research that's coming out? How do you sit with the AC ratio? Um, I'm a fence-sitter in this regard. Um, it's something that we <laughs> – yeah, it's something that we, we – we do look at, um, but then we also um, wouldn't necessarily make any decisions around it, uh, if that sort of makes sense. Um, I feel like it is a it's a good model in the way that you can use it to explain things to to players and coaches. Um, but in saying that, there are times um, where I see uh, moments that we could be holding players back because of the data, um, and we. We as a as a group at Richmond, we sort of um, sort of in our uh, physical performance department, we, we have a philosophy around not jumping at shadows, I guess, and and making sure that if something's flagging, that it's not um, flagging by itself, I guess, um, rather than um, yeah, so so uh, looking at you know the acute chronic ratio, for example, and having spikes in, in data, we wouldn't necessarily be changing uh, prescription based off that, um, but rather looking at um, 
other elements and whether they're coping with those spikes uh, more so than than the actual predictive side of of that model, I guess. Mm-hmm. Excellent, good fence setting. I like it. Yeah, 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 um, yeah. Keep everyone happy. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm, I'm only joking. I'm only joking. Man. So, in terms of, <coughs> excuse me, um, in terms of where sports science sits in the kind of wider department of uh, Richmond, um, we've kind of already we already touched on, but a lot of the stuff that we have talked about, obviously, maybe in terms of uh, GPS of. Um, of taking bloods that's obviously more a, a very much a, a sports science um area but is there any involvement of other departments in what you do in terms of maybe data analysis in getting involved with the, the physios and the kind of data that they want to collect and refining that for them given your skill set is that something that happens at richmond or is it very much a kind of sports science department on its own uh no definitely um it's it's with I guess at Richmond, um, we're very, very, very fluid um, in, in how we do things. Um, my my role itself is, uh, you know, there, there are times where I could be in the gym um, helping out from a strength and conditioning point of view, and, and vice versa as well. So we're, we're sort of very fluid um, in how we we run uh, the, the the department. Um, uh, so one thing that, that I'm a big believer on uh, in terms of sports science is, is trying to, uh, for example, if, you've, if you want to test a group uh, around neuromuscular fatigue, for example, is trying to find ways to do that that have minimal disruption to the program. So um, rather than introducing a new test, seeing if there's anything within a strength and conditioning program that we, we can uh, use to, to measure um, variables that we're, we're looking at um, so, for example, you know, doing jumps within a plyometric session, that sort of thing. Um, I do work very closely with, with our physios, uh, particularly around our return to play players and, and looking at um, particularly their on-field stuff because um, that's that's the space that uh, is an area where uh, as a strength and conditioning department where we're, we're educated in and, and we sort of know what, what the requirements are to, to play AFL football. Um, so... Whereas the you know from a physio point of view, it's about uh, being very very injury specific. So, um, so I'm trying to to bridge that gap. Um, and we, we have uh, I touched on it briefly before. We have done a little bit of work with our sports psych, uh, looking at um, sort of injury rates amongst uh, players who were um, sort of I guess <laughs> call them highly strung, um, and, and looking at you know whether. Uh, they're at a high risk of injury, um, or, or even anyone, whether anyone's at a high risk of injury when they're they're sort of uh, in a state of, of anxiousness or or, um, or or sort of that that negative uh, connotation or, or, or mental uh, position. So, what results has that yielded? Has that yielded any results as of yet? In terms of, that, I'm, I'd love to dig a bit deeper and, and look at yeah, some yeah. of the questions um, that you want to answer with that psych. Yeah, it's it's very much very much in its early days um, when we when we we sort of started doing this, um, and it's something that had has been put on the back burner a little bit at the moment. Um, but we did find, uh, particularly amongst a couple of individuals, that that where the variance within their um, sort of mental state um, did uh, lead them to to a, to a high risk of injury. I guess um, one player in particular, we we had some some pretty big. Um, pretty big correlations um, and whether that be just through coincidence because it was just one player, we, we can't sort of um, 
dig down too deeply into it as yet because it's very much in its infancy. But I think it is a space that, as I mentioned in the past, um, earlier on in this podcast, that that is one area that um, there is still uh, not a lot of overlap uh, within within sport in that um, the psych is sort of seen as a real real grey area um, and a real that's just the space for the sports psych to deal with. Um, and I feel like it's something that, uh, yeah, over time, if we can work hand in hand, um, it, it sort of goes hand in hand um, with performance and, and injury risk. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. It'd be good to actually jump back on in a year or two and see how that if that has developed and and maybe that that is an area of discussion. But we'll leave it for another day. Um, yeah, in yeah, terms we'll of we go. the. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. So in terms of the statistics and, and kind of deeper statistics that you, I think you mentioned a little bit um, towards the front of this chat, what are the what are the questions that you are wanting to ask and how much time are you actually spending on d- diving deeper into the data you've already got um, and trying to pull out the little nuances that, that may be there um, that aren't available in without these deeper statistics and deeper knowledge? Yeah, look, I'll, um, I'll first uh, put out there that um, statistics aren't necessarily my strongest suit. So um, a lot of what I do, um, I do deal with with um, other people um, as around, you know, other statisticians and whatnot to go into those those deeper, deeper spaces. Um, but... In terms of um, answering questions or asking questions, I'm I'm very much driven by what our coaches want to know um, and what um, our you know uh, high performance manager wants to know. So um, the questions that we are asking um, come from them, so they are very um, applicable to to our program uh, at Richmond more so than um, I guess more more global questions, uh, if that sort of makes sense. Um, so. A lot of what I, I will do will be answering those questions uh, for, for those for those guys, um, whether it be performance based questions, return to bay, return to play questions, or um, you know, questions around injury risk. Um, uh, particularly uh, at the moment, it's a bit of a hot topic in, in AFL, but looking at um, length of preseason and, and preseason completion for, amongst players and, and how that links back to, to injury risk and, and performance. Um, that's sort of something that we are really delving into at the moment. Um, so it's they're sort of uh, directed more so by both the coaches and, and, and the high-performance manager in that regard um, in that um, at the moment the, the pre-season uh, is shorter than it was you know, five, six years ago for us, um, even though it is a lot longer than a lot of other sports around the world. Um, it's something that that we feel is very important to prepare a player uh, for the season and definitely has links with performance um, and injury risk. So it is something that, yeah, I've very much been uh, asked by, by the coaches and the, the um, other staff within the club. So just going deeper on that process side of things I mentioned towards the start, with managers, whether it be in um, in AFL, in construction, in whatever it may be, dealing with, obviously communicating with these these managers or people up, up the hierarchy, there's times when there's a rant about certain things, about certain things not right and questions wanted to be asked and often the, the staff will, and I'm, <laughs> you can see that I'm talking from experience here, 
will run away <laughs> and a lot of time getting it can it get a lot of time getting it answered getting all stressed all anxious about it and then kind of come back to deliver a solution and that actually wasn't the question that it was a question they wanted answering, but it was there and then. It was very a sp- sporadic, off-the-cuff comment that you've kind of taken on board, or, or in this case, I took on board, and spent a lot of time, but it wasn't actually the question that really wanted answering. So in terms of the process to get that the correct question for you to answer, how do you go about that? Obviously, you mentioned the, the pre-season. What was the communication yeah, yeah. like, and what was that process like to, to know that that was actually the question that they really wanted to answer and they're happy to wait a week, a month, six months to get it right? Yeah, look, I, I feel personally um, and it's sort of uh, an overriding um, philosophy is that, that it all comes back to, to relationships and I feel like um, if you have that that trust and that communication with with um you know, upper management or, or coaches and, and or staff. Um, I feel like a lot of that confusion is is no longer there um, when when that when you are uh, in a sort of a stronger relationship, I guess. Um, so a lot of a lot of what we do um, is around that relationship building. Um, but then also, uh, I feel uh, that a lot of questions arise because information does take a while to get to people. Um, so with the improvements of, of data collection and data analysis in real time, um, a lot of those questions are getting answered as they're happening. So that makes it um, a fair bit easier to, to um, keep those, those sort of staff on site, uh, if that sort of makes sense, and actually move with, with what the question actually is and what it's, what it's giving you. Um, uh, there, there have been times where, um, yeah, as you say, you know, I think I've, I've sort of had an experience as well where, where the question was completely wrong. But it's about, um, yeah, sort of moving on from that and accepting that that that, that was there, and um, you know, and, and finding uh, what the next the next question is, and and going down that path more so than than continuing to to go down a, a rabbit hole. Does that answer your question? Uh-huh. <laughs> Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah, 100%. Um, so just just moving on to the last point that I wanted to touch on, this was a little bit of a rant that I had on, not a rant, but just, a, just a, an observation that I'd um, communicated on, on Twitter and got a little bit of, well, quite a bit of interaction, actually, um, quite a few um, really interesting conversations off the back of. And it was my thought that just from people sharing things online like a, an Excel spreadsheet, for example. Lots of colors, lots of graphs. Obviously, very hard to put context around that. But obviously, people feeling that that, that was interesting that they were sharing that Excel sh- template or Excel sheet they'd created. And for me, looking at it, it was like, okay, that that looks great, but I, what, I don't know what that what what the purpose is of that. Yeah, that made me yeah. think, I wonder if, I wonder if there's a feeling among maybe young 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 professionals young um practitioners that that is the in thing to be able to do get into excel you know go, go deep into it and then that made me think i wonder are we actually moving away from the arts of, of coaching where the people come through university and they have this perception that it is all about data and you know that's what people are exposed to these days with phones and even like sleep apps and people collecting data constantly with steps or 
miles or whatever they're you know building up through the day and moving away from that coaching aspect i don't know what your thoughts are with that but my question to my question to people on, on twitter was um is it cooler to actually be an excel guru than a coach i just wanted to get your opinion on that um I feel like, uh, and um, we spoke before um, about uh, the, the article that, that you sent through, um, and I think that sort of um, really hit the nail on the head. And if you go back, uh, you know, 10, 20 years ago, um, this profession was 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 very much um, a profession of uh, one person does everything. So one person was doing your strength conditioning, your sports science, your um, you know your warm ups, your your strength uh, training, your uh, rehab. Everything was done by one person. Um, whereas now we, we we're in an environment where there's um, a lot of people employed by by clubs to to look at different areas um, and. You know, we've got uh, even within Australia, there's uh, sort of six or seven universities constantly producing um, graduates in this space. Um, so, so the amount of people that are out there uh, is getting uh, more and more and more, I guess. Um, so, it, it is sort of a space where um, people are trying to show what they're worth and put their name out there, and, and um, you know share their, their information and what they can and can't do. Um, I do feel like in our profession we still we still need elements of, of the old days where you can cover everything. So I feel comfortable that, you know, if if the strength coach called in sick, I could go into the gym and, and still, um, you know, adequately uh, coach the, the players within the gym um, and, you know, vice versa where if I called in sick that um, people would be able to do um, what I do. Uh, so I feel like, uh, yeah, although, uh, as you said, we're, we're sort of going down the path of uh, being – data nerds and, and really behind the computer, I actually feel like if you can if you can experience or, or have a good knowledge of, of the wide range of area and then you actually can apply that data in a more meaningful and, um, and useful way. Um, yeah, that, that's sort of my, my view, I guess. Mm-hmm. So is that something that you feel, like you say, been feeling comfortable in the gym, feeling comfortable around the players is something that's helped you then contextualize the data that you're collecting from a sports science point of view and able to communicate that rather than yeah, definitely. pass that on to someone who's a little bit more comfortable in front of a group or in front of, yeah, in uh, front of the players, with the players, with the management. Yeah, yeah definitely. Because it shows uh, in my in my experience, and it took me it actually took me a very long time to, to I guess, learn this, um, but it shows that you can relate back to, to the players and the coaches um, and you get that the buy-in and that um, that use of I guess meaningful data um, and you actually feel like you are making an influence rather than just being sort of stuck behind a computer all day um, I mentioned it before it all gets back to to relationships and, and how you form those relationships with the players and coaches and other staff and if you if you've got tick that box, then um, it makes your job a, a hell of a lot easier when you do, you know, want to look at this new technology and introduce it, and it's going to tell me this. Um, so the players actually have that trust in you that oh yeah, he he knows what he's doing because he's been on the floor with us, he's helped us, um, he has shown us how this this applies uh, in the past. So we, you know, we we fully trust him in, in that space. 
Mm-hmm. Excellent. Well, we've gone past the 45 minutes that I promised I'd keep you. So I'm just going to um, just round that up. But I really appreciate you, uh, you coming on to have a little chat. If anyone's got any questions about what you guys do at Richmond or anything that we've chatted about, what's the best place for people to – where's the best place for people to, to get in touch with you? Uh, yeah, I'm uh, on – almost all the social medias. So uh, you, you'll find me on Twitter and on, on LinkedIn. Um, uh, that's probably the, the easiest way to get hold of me. Um, and it's something that, um, you know, in this day and age where you're always getting notifications and emails and stuff like that, that uh, you, you're constantly across. So um, that's probably the, the best way to go about it. Um, and, you know, it's something that I'm yeah, more than comfortable answering questions and, and responding to people, definitely. Happy days. And one thing we chatted about off air was your um, couple of speaking gigs that you've had. Is anything else coming up, either in Oz or internationally, that you're going to get out and about and deliver some presentations? Uh, yeah, not at the moment. Uh, at the moment, it's uh, all about the the end of the season and and hopefully, um, yeah, helping helping the boys win another premiership this year. Um, that's sort of where all the energy is focused at the moment. So um, yeah, fingers crossed that uh, we can. Uh, get another piece of silverware in my time at Richmond. Absolutely. No, sounds good, mate. Well, thank you very much again. Really appreciate you coming on and uh, we'll catch up soon. No problems. Thank you very much for having me. Thanks for tuning in to episode 255 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Hope you enjoyed the chat with Brendan. So big thanks to Brendan for giving up his time. As always, guests give it up an, an hour of their evening or morning or work time to come on and have a little chat and talk through what they do at their respective clubs or institutions. So I always give a big shout out to the guests. And in this, in this case, big thanks to Brendan for giving up his time. Also big thanks to Black Box Fitness, to I Measure You, Hawking Dynamics and Kitman Labs for sponsoring this episode today. So I've got some really interesting guests coming up over the next couple of weeks. Couple of roundtables, so the roundtable coming up for September, which will be released soon, and also some cool guests from various different parts of the world. So thanks again for tuning in, and I will chat to you next week.